listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's message is a part of our sermon series, How Shall We Live? You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning and welcome to Roswell Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to be in worship with you today. I want you to know that last Monday we had a fantastic golf tournament. We had more players than we'd had last year, and we had more sponsorships. And all that money is going out the door to our uh, mission partners to serve the most vulnerable in our community with the love of Jesus Christ. We also have uh, Vespers the last couple weeks. We have it tonight. It's 6 p.m. You can go to roswellpress.org to sign up. It's going to be a great time to gather physically outside the historic sanctuary and worship together. Well, today is the final sermon in our series, How Shall We Live?, as we've looked at the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments are divided up into two tables. The first table has to do with our vertical, our our relationship with God. The second table has to do with the horizontal relationships, our relationship with one another. And today we're going to look at the tenth and final commandment of the Ten Commandments. It comes from Exodus 20, verse 17. Listen for the word of the Lord. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we ask that in the next few moments you might be our teacher, that wherever we are at, you by your spirit might speak a word to our hearts that only you can speak. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A wise man once said, the grass on the other side of the fence may be greener, but it still needs to be mowed. (laughs) When I think about an example of coveting, I can't help but think about this recent book I just read, Billion Dollar Whale, The Man Who Fooled Wall Street, Hollywood, and the World. It tells the story of a young Malaysian man named Joe Lo, who comes to business school in the United States and begins lying about his background in order to climb the social ladder. As he does, he makes contacts in in the U.S. and really around the world. At the beginning of the book, it tells the story of he goes to London to this prestigious boarding school. He comes into contact with government officials who are lying about uh, and living way above their pay grade. Lowe discovered that they were skimming off the top. And there's a poignant description that the authors make that I, I couldn't miss. They write, as Joe Lowe looks around at his friends, he says, the situation stirred in him a moral relativism. If everyone was taking a cut, then what could be the problem? Eventually, he would go on to steal $5 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars through the 1MDB hedge fund. And he would use those funds to pay his associates and enrich himself. And this was all at the expense of his own people. He purchased a super yacht, bought a prestigious condo in New York, traveled around the world, dated models, had real estate everywhere, was always hanging out with movie stars. He funded movies. He looked at what rich people were doing, and he wanted to enrich himself so he could do it too. He said, this is how the rich are supposed to live, and he would lie and steal 
do whatever he could to be like the people he admired, the people he was coveting from. But guess what it got him? Goldman Sachs had to pay $3.9 billion settlement for their role in the scheme. Jolo now is hiding out, trying to avoid extradition. He lived a life of covetousness, and now he's lost everything. While I doubt few of us will ever steal $5 billion, I think we all know what it feels like to covet. We see what others have, and we want it for ourselves. We desire to have the objects, the relationships, the stuff that other people have. I coveted eight times driving into work today, looking at other people's cars. I know about coveting, this desire, this attraction to have what others have. Well, it's prohibited by the 10th commandment. And I have several points I want to make today about coveting. Number one, coveting is a matter of the heart. There's a great theological study tool that the Peace USA published a number of years ago called the Peace USA Study Catechism. It's organized in classical faction by teaching the Christian faith through the Apostles' Creed, which teaches us about theology, and then through the Lord's Prayer, teaches us how to worship, and then about Christian ethics, about how to live through the Ten Commandments. And it does a great job of articulating the meaning of the Christian faith in a clear and concise way. And when it comes to describing the Tenth Commandment, it says this, My whole heart should belong to God alone, not to money or the things of this world. Coveting means desiring something wrongfully. I should not resent the good fortune or success of my neighbor or allow envy to corrupt my heart. Whereas the other commandments from the second table of the law are easy to spot from the outside, we can spot murder and theft and um, bearing false witness and adultery. We can see these from the outside, but coveting is different. It's a matter of the heart. We have to pay attention for ourselves. Coveting is a matter of our heart and our desires. The commandment warns us about becoming attached, desiring what you don't have. In his autobiography, Confessions, the African bishop Augustine of Hippo describes sin as disordered love or disordered desire. He says that is the root of sin. We love the wrong objects. We desire what we should not desire. Augustine has a fascinating biography. Before becoming a Christian, he was a professional speaker. He was like an ancient rock star. He had a live-in girlfriend that he was with for 10 years. He had friends that he would party into the late hours of the night. He was, and he was the life of the party, but yet his mother continued to pray for him. And so eventually he converts to Christianity. And when he's much older in his life as an older man, he looks back at his youth. And he begins to analyze his life and he writes what one of my teachers calls the autobiography of the Western soul. And Augustine analyzes desire. And the most famous line in that book is a prayer. God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. He was a brilliant analyzer of the psychology of desire. If you're interested in a good book to read along with, to learn about Augustine, I would recommend James K.A. Smith's On the Road with St. Augustine. He summarizes Augustine's views about desire this way. He says, where we rest is a matter of what and how we love. 
Our restlessness is a reflection of what we try to enjoy as an end in itself, what we look to as a place to land. The heart's hunger is infinite, which is why it will ultimately be disappointed with anything merely finite. He goes on, humans are those strange creatures who can never be fully satisfied by anything created, though that never stops us from trying. (laughs) We have large desires. We have an infinite hole in our hearts that only God can fill, but through coveting we try to fill it up with finite things, and it will never work. And so God commands, thou shalt not covet. But one of the the problems about coveting is coveting is a shape-shifter. Shape-shifting is one of the oldest themes in literature. It's when a being has the miraculous ability to change into something else changes its shape. You'll see it all the time in science fiction. A person might change into an animal. An animal might change into an object. A shapeshifter changes to fit a new situation. Our desires are shapeshifters. They change to fit a new situation. Usually, we want what we can't have. And once we do get what we want, we want something more. Here's a mundane example, but I've thought a lot about it. My in-laws have a beach house on the Georgia coast, and it's my wife's favorite place in the world. I love going there too, and one of the reasons I love going there is there's this really nice gym. And at this gym, there is this fantastic locker room. It is amazing. I go there to work out just so I can use the locker room. It's amazing. It smells beautiful. The music is beautiful. They have your personalized like shaving kits and razor and deodorant. Oh, and only the nicest stuff. And I just love it. Well, after going there for a number of years, I remember being in the, in the locker room and I looked up and all of a sudden I, I noticed a crack in the ceiling. And then I noticed the music was on repeat and I began to get annoyed and all of a sudden the locker room wasn't that great anymore. I wanted more. It wasn't new anymore. I wanted more. I had it, so I wanted something else. And isn't this how the human heart works? We want what we can't have, and when we get it, then we want something else. Our desires are infinite. Our desires tend to shift and change shape. What well, was the same with the Israelites? Did you know that there are two versions of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament? That's right. One is recorded in the book of Exodus, and the other is recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. And basically, they're the same, except there are a few minor differences that if you pay attention, you can notice. One of the differences comes in the Tenth Commandment. See, I believe the commandments are written for a distinct and particular context. So in Exodus, the Israelites have just left Egypt Moses has gone up Mount Sinai, and he comes down with the Ten Commandments. For the next 40 years, the Israelites will wander in the wilderness. They're a nomadic people, and the Ten Commandments lay out how they are to live as they wander. But then in Deuteronomy, it's a different context. In Deuteronomy, the Israelites are on the edge of entering the Promised Land. It's a new situation. It's going to be a new life. They're going to live together. No longer as nomads, they will have a land, a home, a place. Notice the differences in the the Ten Commandments. See if you can see the difference. 
From Exodus 20, verse 17, it reads, You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Now watch here in Deuteronomy 5, verse 21. Neither shall you covet your neighbor's wife, neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. First, you'll notice that in the Deuteronomy version, it moves up, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You got to wonder what was happening in the wilderness. But God moves that up and says, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. But then what else did you notice? You'll notice the addition of a phrase. Neither shall you desire your neighbor's house or field. Or field. We get this interesting phrase that's inserted there that's not in Exodus. See, they have to be watch out for coveting their neighbor's fields because now they're a people with a land. They've been a nomadic people, but now they're entering the promised land. And their desires are going to change and shift. And God says, still, do not covet and don't covet your neighbor's field. It's a real problem. Wandering in the wilderness, you didn't have to worry about it, but now you do. Do not covet your neighbor's field. Coveting is a shape-shifter. You will always wrestle with this problem. Wherever you are, no matter how much stuff or money you have, coveting will be a problem, desiring the wrong things. You can't have everything. So what others have will be a temptation to you. Well, I'd ask you, where does this command touch your life? This command is interior. It's psychological. It's intellectual. It has to do with the heart. It's a command of the soul. It's about desires. So I'd ask you, what are you obsessed about? What do you brood over? What do you think about? It could be an object, a relationship, a station in life. Where do you think the grass is greener? God wants to save you the time and the energy from looking at other people's lives and wanting what they have. This won't get you where you want to go. Coveting will only take your eyes off of the life God has given you. You can't focus in on coveting what others have. Coveting will not help you flourish. So how does Jesus say we can deal with coveting? In the book of Matthew, Jesus gives his interpretation of the Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, listen to this. Jesus teaches, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. Those are finite things. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where the infinite goods, where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You have a desire for spiritual food. Focus in on that. Don't try to fill up your heart with finite things where moth and rust consume. Don't hunger for that stuff. Don't go after. Don't strive coveting for what you can't have. Notice what Jesus goes on to say. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. See, in the ancient world, the eye was the symbol of desire. 
The eye was the symbol of desire. And Jesus is saying, careful of what you look at, what you desire. The eye can enable you to see, it can fill you up with light, but it also can fill you up with darkness if you covet for this world's riches. So what is the antidote for coveting? The antidote for coveting is gratitude. It's gratitude. Are you thankful for what you do have? Don't look at your neighbor's house or your neighbor's ox. Focus in on what God has given you. Be thankful for what you have. Thank you, God, for my house or for my apartment, for my family, for my car. Whatever you have, be thankful for it. Gratitude for the life you have will prevent you from coveting. Have you ever been around a grateful person? It's such a blessing. I have a friend who has a young daughter who is just a really thankful person, and they have this great story that one Christmas they were opening presents and it came time for her to open her big present. And so she opens it and she looks in and I don't know what the gift was, I forget, but it was, it was protected by, with cotton all in it. Well, she got in there and she opened it up and she starts pulling out the cotton. She goes, oh, cotton, thank you so much. I love cotton. She thought cotton was the gift. She was so thankful. And now in their family, when they want to be thankful, they can say, oh, it's cotton. Once you become a grateful person, then the next step is to become a generous person. First, gratefulness and then generosity. Just the other day, I came across an article on Forbes.com. The title of the article was this, The Billionaire Who Wanted to Die Broke Is Now Officially Broke. I thought to myself, oh, finally, a riches to rags story. I wonder how he lost it all. Finally, these rich guys are getting what's coming to them. Well, I was so wrong. This billionaire, or former billionaire, Chuck Feeney, decided to give all his money away before he died. Billionaire gave it all away to nonprofits and charities. Said, give it away while he was still alive so he could enjoy being generous. It's an amazing story. It inspired Bill Gates and Warren Buffett to go on and to give much of their wealth away while they're alive. He said it's better to give it away. Generosity. Motivated, not by gathering and coveting and desiring what you don't have, but being generous and giving it away. Rather than focus, focusing on coveting other people's stuff, how can I be generous with what I have? Since we are coming to the end of our sermon series, I have a hunch some of you are thinking like me. What if I can't memorize the Ten Commandments? What if I forget one? What happens? What if I can't keep them all straight? Well, I want to remind you what Jesus had to say when he summarized the Ten Commandments. It comes in Matthew 22. A lawyer asked him a question to test him. He said, Jesus, a teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And listen to what Jesus responds with. He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. The Ten Commandments can be summarized. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. This summarizes, this is the heart of the commandments. Love. God wants us to love Him 
and love one another. That's the purpose of our lives. That is how we shall live. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that you summarize the commandments so succinctly. Love God and love people. Lord, I pray that we might do that and we might flourish in our lives, that we might walk the path you call us down. We thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.